The Syracuse Sports Podcast is presented by the Bill Rapp Superstore. The Rapp family has kept our community driving for more than 60 years, thanks to game-winning deals on new and pre-owned vehicles. Now, they can't guarantee that every new vehicle comes in orange, but they do guarantee 100% satisfaction. Bleed orange, save green at the Bill Rapp Superstore. You know, you can always get a great deal, and it's always the smart choice. If you go to the Bill Rapp Superstore, make sure you price things first at BillRapp.com. If you're like me, and your car has just gone over the 100,000 mile mark, oh boy, you're in the market for a new car, and the Bill Rapp Superstore is where you want to start and end that look. Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers is my guest this week on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. We covered a lot of ground in our conversation, including a review of spring football and a preview of what's to come in Friday's spring game. You'll hear some pretty interesting things from Dino, including a story on how Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted by the New England Patriots from the team that he coached. You'll hear all about the quarterbacks, but but you'll notice how careful Dino is to defer to something when the name Tommy DeVito comes up. Does Dino think this team can win in 2018? Well, he describes that in a way only he can. I don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg. Honestly, I don't know. But I know we need both of them to be able to scramble and have eggs for breakfast. We need that crowd. And if we get that crowd with the players that, that we have and the team that we're trying to build, we will win. That, plus the Syracuse Crunch and Utica Comets, who already play in playoff-like atmospheres, game in and game out could meet in the upcoming Calder Cup playoffs. But they're both playing with heavy hearts, as is everybody in the professional hockey community, what both teams are doing to honor the humble Broncos. Before we get to my conversation with Dino Babers, one down and one to go. And that means the decisions of O'Shea Brissett and Tyus Battle to go pro or come back. We now know what O'Shea Brissett is doing, and that is to come back to Syracuse University. First, he put it on social media, then Syracuse on their official Twitter account, including a video from O'Shea Brissett, described how much he's looking forward to returning to Syracuse for his sophomore season. This was not only a wise choice on O'Shea's part, it was a needed choice on Syracuse's part, because I think between O'Shea and Tyus Battle, the Orange certainly need O'Shea back more than Tyus. Not to say Syracuse wouldn't miss Tyus's talent. In a junior season, he could really catapult himself into maybe a top 15 or 20 pick in the NBA draft, as opposed to where he stands now, which is on the fringe of the first round. Syracuse will always take talent back, but Syracuse has an abundance of guards. Without Tyus Battle, they'd still have Frank Howard, four-star incoming recruit Jalen Carey, Howard Washington Jr., who, mind you, was coming back from a major injury, but should be set to go once Syracuse gets into the depth of the season. Incoming sharpshooter Buddy Beheim, Elijah Hughes, who sat on the bench last year as a transfer from East Carolina, and all reports from practice are he's a 6'6 player that can hit from the outside. Syracuse will need Hughes to play a little bit of forward next year, given the departures at that position. We all know about Matthew Moyer, who's seeking to transfer. The Darius Baisley situation, which we've discussed here on the podcast and Syracuse fans are well aware of, left Syracuse with a big hole at a needed position. Had O'Shea Brissett decided to pursue a professional career now, that would have left Merrick Dolzhai as the only true forward on this basketball team. No offense to the scrappy Slovakian, that would not be an ideal situation for the Orange. Every story is different, but O'Shea Brissett's story is one I think needed another year in college. He is on the brink of being an NBA talent. He's only going to be around here for one more year, but there are a lot of elements to his game that just need a little rounding off, as I think we saw in the NCAA tournament. 
couple of times he got to the basket and just couldn't finish off dunks in big plays. But the raw talent is there, the athleticism is there, and the big word when you have these conversations is their potential. So now we await Tyus Battle's decision, which should come sometime next week as we get closer to the deadline of underclassmen saying they have to declare for the NBA draft. As mentioned, Battle is right there on the fringe of the first round. ESPN's latest mock draft has him going 29th, which is a first-round pick, albeit barely a first-round pick. It's anybody's guess what Tyus Battle will do at this point. But frankly, I think the more important decision has already been made. Now, my conversation with Syracuse football head coach Dino Babers. So, Dino, you've got 14 practices in the books. You've got one more scrimmage to come on Friday at the Carrier Dome. Tell me about this spring. What have you accomplished? You feeling good about what you've done so far? I think this has been an extremely physical spring. I think the young men have really done their part. Uh, They've battled through a lot of bruises and, and some broken bones. And they're still out there on the football field. I think this is going to really pay off. This is the most physical spring that we've gone, that I've had as a head coach. And I'm really proud about the job that the young men have done. Do you feel like you had to up the intensity there, the physicality? Because, of course, you want to stay healthy. That's the important thing. But how important was it to you to, to establish kind of a physical tone once again? I think we have to get back to that. I think, obviously, based off of some of the things that happened later on in the season, I wasn't very pleased with. And it's not so much of having the uh, – the top 22 or 25 guys ready for the physicality of the game, but you got to make sure the underbelly's ready for it as well. And in the fall, it's really hard to bang starters versus starters because, you know, if two guys get hurt, you're losing two starters. So you've got to get that one versus one, good versus good somewhere. And we decided for the very first time that we we're going to really do it in the spring. So we've got a lot of live reps, a lot of one versus one, good versus good. And, and now we're into the one versus two, trying to build the underbelly to what it's going to be like if you're a backup and you're going against an ACC Atlantic starter. So Friday, uh, tell me about what you want to see in the scrimmage. Certainly you want to stay healthy. That's always the most important thing. So does that physicality carry over? What are some things you want to accomplish Friday night at the Dome? Well, first of all, we're a little bit healthier than what we anticipated based off of the spring that we had laid out. So we're going to do a little bit more. We're going we're gonna to average, we're going to have about 80 plays. An average football game for us is 88.5. We're in top four in the country in plays. So we're going to go about 80, which means the ones will go about 40 snaps and the twos will go about 40 snaps. And then that'll be it. I would imagine that it will be extremely physical. The guys have had one, one practice this week, so they'll, they're as healthy this week as, uh, as they have been since the start of spring ball, what we had in the first week. So I'd imagine with fresh legs that there will be some snap, crackling, and popping going on, and uh, it should be fun for the fans. They need to get out there Friday at 7. I was going to say, this is one of the real opportunities for the fans to, to come see you up close and personal, to interact, get the autographs and everything. Do you and the players look forward to that and just kind of, okay, spring is over and you get to have a nice night with the fans on I, Friday? I think it's fantastic for the players. I really do. You know, to get there and, get, and for the fans, and, and you, know, you know how little kids, they make everyone smile. So uh, I think it reinforces to the young men on the football team that you know, not only is it important to them, but it's important to the fans and it's important to the community. So, yeah, I think it's a win-win situation. You just noted there that you're as healthy as you have been through the spring. You also said this week, though, that certain depth positions on the team, that not at all positions but most, the depth isn't maybe where you want it to be. So is it just one of those things, you know, trust the process, keep 
getting there and, and eventually you'll have the depth that you want. Where would you put that? You know, we have one of the highest APR scores uh, in ACC football. And the reason being is we don't let a lot of people go. Uh, there's been players on the football team that have decided to leave, and uh, uh, some of them not by our choice. They they decided that they wanted to leave after they get to our graduations. Our situation in football is a little bit different than other places, and we really want our young men to graduate regardless of their level of play. So some of the guys that were here uh, maybe weren't quite exactly what they should have been when it comes to ACC football, but we're not going to throw those guys out in the street. We're going to give them an opportunity to graduate, which we've done. Uh, that takes a little bit slow, longer process, which is what's keeping us at a slow, steady, strong build when it comes to the underbelly and the depth of this football team. You mentioned with uh, Eric Dungy, Coach, that he's as good as he can be right now. Tell me about the process of this spring and, and kind of getting him back in there with his ankle injury, getting him back healthy, you know, sharing some reps with some other quarterbacks there, and where you think he is here entering the scrimmage on Friday and then, of course, into the fall. Well, first of all, we've got to decide whether we're going to use him in the scrimmage or not because we just cannot get him hurt. But the, the big thing is when he's been with our offense, I believe he's operating close to a 70% clip throwing the football, which is a higher percentage than he's ever had. His knowledge of the offense is, is supreme. He's been doing a wonderful, wonderful job. And we just want to make sure that we get an opportunity to play some games with him in November because he's a winning quarterback. He's a winning quarterback when he's under center for us. And we're a losing football team when he's not. So this gives an opportunity for Tommy DeVito to come in and, and get some reps and has been throughout the spring, certainly. And this is going to be the first opportunity for a lot of fans to really see him in action here on Friday night. What's the approach with Tommy? He had a lot of opportunities here in, in spring ball, but do you want to almost temper the expectations a little bit? Because he is still a young player. You know, I think the biggest thing about all our backup quarterbacks, when you look at Tommy, you look at Rex Culpepper, who is uh, who is who will be available to play in the spring game, but we're going to hold. Uh, Chance Amy, our new freshman, Clayton, our other quarterback. I think with all, all four of those guys, okay, along with Dungy, this position is as strong as it's ever been at Syracuse. I'd say in the last 17 years, we really do have four guys that are capable of moving the football, okay, with Dungy being the fifth. So we're really happy with where those guys are, and I think all those guys are going to have an opportunity to show what they can do in the spring game. What kind of player do you have in Tommy DeVito? What kind of player can he be for you? You know, I think with all those young players, they have the ability to throw the football. I think that Tommy, Rex, Chance, Clayton, those guys can throw the football, and I think they throw the ball a lot better than the other backup quarterbacks that we've had behind Dungy since he's been here. So there's a bigger push from the underbelly at his position that there's ever been. But I'll tell you what, Eric, is when he's been out there, offense has really been on. So no matter who's throwing the ball, you've got two wide receivers that you need to replace in Steve Ishmael and Irv Phillips. How confident are you that you have a group that can – continue the, the production and the pace that those two set, especially in the last couple of years? You know, I think that's one of the positions that we're going to have to see. When you talk about the wide receiver position on offense, we still may need, you know, the freshman class coming in to solidify that position. There's been times where there's been certain guys that have had outstanding springs. And let me say, guys in that wide receiver position has had outstanding weeks in spring. But I'm not sure we still have that consistently good guy. We've had that occasionally great week, 
But we're looking for two, two guys, three guys that can be consistently good for us to really take this passing game to where it hasn't been yet. Let me ask you specifically about one guy who's going on both sides of the ball a little bit. Maybe that speaks to the depth thing. That's, of course, Antoine Cordy. How do you feel he's been adjusting when he has to step on the offensive side of the ball? You know, he was, on, he was with us early, working with us early, but he was, he's still been a little – you know, a little banged up, so to speak. He did more. When we moved him back to defense, he did more. He was a lot more comfortable than some of the situations we were putting him in an offense. But the thing about uh, the thing about that young man is he can do, Cordy can do whatever he would like to do. And he's he's capable of doing more. But the first thing we got to do is get him healthy and get him comfortable so that we can use him more. Talking to Dino Babers here as the Orange get ready for their spring scrimmage Friday night at the Carrier Dome, and of course that's open to the public and free for everybody to check out here. Uh, you brought up Rex a moment ago, and, and life really uh, interceded here, and we've seen his story. Uh, we had a chance to talk to him the other day, Coach, and he, I mean his spirits could not have been higher. His mother was right by his side, and he is really attacking this with everything he has. And the, the positive attitude, I think, is something people have really noticed. And, and he said he wants to, to you know, be a model for people that, that are going through the same thing, which that's not an easy thing for a college kid to go through, but it's, it's been remarkable to see how he's really handled this whole thing. I mean, what a super family. And when you have family support like that, not only in his original family, but in his football family as well. I mean, when he came to practice, everybody was juiced up. When I saw him, I mean... You know, I'm not going to say I got teared up, but I almost did. You know, I got fired up to see him. And I think with that support, it just goes to prove what kind of person he is and then the way he goes about it. He's going to go full speed ahead. He's going to attack that stuff. Heck, he was in my office the other day. Coach, I want to know why I'm not playing in the spring game. I'm like, Rex, you're not going to play in the spring game because I don't want you to hurt your knee or da-da-da-da. And now you've got to deal with this and a torn ACL or a sprained ACL. I'm not going to do that. I said, you just got back. And, he, and I said, hey, you'll go through this. You'll be fine. you got game experience. You know the offense. You're going to be fine. Let's deal with this one battle on one front, and then let's, once this gets behind us, let's get ready for football in the fall. So he's fired. He's ready to go. Switching things to the defensive side of the ball, you mentioned a moment ago about the physicality you want to see and some steps that you want to take so some disappointments don't happen again in the fall. Let's just kind of keep it to spring. What are some of the things you've seen from this defense that are encouraging to you that they're making those steps and they're making those improvements? You've got to start with the front. The front's been outstanding. I mean, they've been putting constant pressure on the offense, not only in the throw game but in the run game. And, and you're talking about a front that's playing without Kendall Coleman. So when Kendall comes back in the summertime, you're talking about one of the most consistent football players on this team. And when I say that, that's not loosely said. I mean, he is do right. Okay, if there's a definition, there's a picture of him in the dictionary. Millennials don't know what dictionaries anymore. They're going to ask Siri. So if they ask Siri who Mr. Do Right is, okay, his picture would pop up on their phones. I'm sure not sure they know who Dudley Do Right is either. <laughs> so they can Google that after they Google that. There you go. Well said. Well said. So I think when you add Kendall to this whole thing, that we're going to be really. And when I say the D line, I mean inside and outside. I think we're going to be as good there as we've been since I've been here. And as if you're good with those hippos. You know, and you're good with the elephants. And I, we're not deep, but I really like our starting five. And I think we can go six or seven people in there. You know, we got a chance.
the linebackers, there's a lot of experience and, and production that needs to be replaced there. How have they taken those first steps to do that? You know, I think that the other, the other position that everybody wants to know about is the linebackers. I think it's the wide receivers on offense. I think it's the linebackers on defense. And those young people are getting after it. There's a lot of jobs still open there. And there's a lot of good backup jobs that are still up, open there. And there's, and there's fierce competition. And I think it's going to be exciting to see how those linebackers play in the spring games. We got our minds kind of set on some things, but we're always open to change. So they're going to get one more opportunity to go out there and change our minds based off of what we've seen so far in the first 14 practices of spring ball. Got to give some love to the special teams here, Coach. Uh, Sterling Hoffrichter, it looks like he's going to take on some double duty here, both punting and place kicking. Another a two-way player here, which you don't see a lot of an, anymore. How is he handling that, and, and do you think uh, that's something he's going to do once we get to the fall? You know, when you talk about our kicking units, uh, Matt, uh, our, our long snapper, Sterling, I think, both, I think the world of both of those guys. And as they go, we go. Uh, I happened to be, be on a college football team where we had a kicker that did both. And what normally happens is you do one thing really good, and then you kind of do the other thing okay. And while you're doing it okay, there's no one on the bench that can do it better. Sterling could have the opportunity to, to, to knock it dead in both of these things. He's been extremely consistent, okay, uh, with the place kicking. And I just think he is going to punt his way straight to the NFL. I really think he's got an opportunity to be an, an NFL punter. And it's going to be fun to see how he handles it. From a mental standpoint, what normally happens when a kicker tries to do both is they press. They could be good in one area and, and bad in the other, and they start pressing. And when they press, their good area comes down. And now they're bad and okay instead of good and okay. And as, he's got a really strong mind mentally. I think Matt's going to be there to help him, our long stapper as well. And I think as long as those two guys work together, that we're going to have an opportunity to be a lot better than what people think in those two areas. You've got some new coaches here on your staff, and, and Coach Kavanaugh and Coach Martin that have come along. Coach Lynch steps into the full offensive coordinator role, and a lot of that is on the offensive side of the ball working with you. How have they adjusted so far, and what things do you think they can do uh, to help the program? I think you need to add Kim McLeod to that, moving over to defense. Justin Lustick is in a new position. Uh, Reno Faree is in a new position. Mike Lynch in a new position. Kirk Martin, new position. Mike Cavanaugh, new position. There's been a lot of work going on in the spring and not a lot of sleep. And uh, these guys are attacking it. They're not going to be finished yet. Obviously, the guys with more experience are making a, a bigger adjustment and uh, improving their positions faster. But I think as we grow through the summer and we get to the fall, we're going to get better and better and better at this. A lot of these moves were made because what we're trying to do is lock these positions down for a long, long period of time. And if we can survive it, I think we're going to be better and stronger than we've ever been in the coaching part of it. And on that note, I mean, you've developed young men to go on to do things, including professional football and other walks of life. You developed a head coach who went on to Kent State there. Are you just as proud to see that happen as in, in, in addition to players that you see go on to be successful? Absolutely. You know, this first branch of my tree spouting leaves off you know it's, it's exciting it's an exciting time and and I would love to see that happen more I think you know head coaches need to coach coaches coaches need to coach players and it needs to be that military chain of command and it's it's fun to see somebody go off and, and plant themselves and see them start to grow and and you know I'm happy for coach Lewis I'm happy for the young coaches that he took off of our staff to start their careers the McPherson's and everyone else and that's what happens and Hopefully those guys will be successful because as they're successful 
and we start to lose coaches, now we've got a tree that we can pick from that already knows our philosophies, already knows our offensive defensive schemes to see if we can get some of those guys back, which will help make it a lot easier on us. Okay. You've got a couple young men trying to uh, make it in the National Football League with the draft coming up here in a couple of weeks, notably Steve Ishmael and, and Zaire Franklin. What kind of conversations have you had with NFL coaches about them, and what do you think their chances are to hear their names called during the draft coming up? You know, right now I have not had a single conversation with a head football coach on any of those individuals. And some of that has to do with guys are really, really secretive about, at this stage of the game, on who they really like and who they don't like. You know, the thing with Jimmy Garoppolo is the New England Patriots. I'm going to give you an example. The New England Patriots came to one football practice uh, for Jimmy Garoppolo, and they stayed half the practice, and they never came again. So you would think they came, they didn't like what they saw, and they left. The practice was, was halfway through, and they drafted him in the second round. What happens with these young men is as the draft gets closer and closer, that's when the coaches start to call, okay, because they just don't want the cat out of the bag on who they're really interested in and who they're really hot on. So you asked me a direct question, and the answer is no, no one's called yet, but they will. So I'll call back in a couple of weeks, and we'll, we'll get the direct answer to that question. Final thing for you, Coach. What do you want to accomplish here in, in your third season as the head coach at Syracuse? You know, we want to win. You know, I came here to, to get this community, to get this football team, to get this university, and get them, everybody proud of a winning football team, to get us back to where we've been. And uh, I think we're more than capable of winning this year. The biggest thing is that I think sometimes the community, the fan base, the student body, they don't understand how big of a part of it they are, especially at home, especially in that dome. They really, really have an effect. There's no doubt that they were part of the Clemson win, yet they can be a part of other wins as well if we can get that thing filled up, if we can get bodies in that seat. I, I don't know what came first, the chicken or the eggs. Honestly, I don't know. But I know we need both of them to be able to scramble and have eggs for breakfast. We need that crowd. And if we get that crowd with the players that, that we have and the team that we're trying to build, we will win. Thanks again to Dino Babers, describing how Syracuse can win in a way only he can, scrambled eggs. And one last thought before we go. The Syracuse Crunch and Utica Comets seem to be on a course to meet in the Calder Cup playoffs, which would be amazing. Every time the Crunch and Comets take the ice at either the Utica Memorial Auditorium or the Onondaga County War Memorial, every game feels like a playoff atmosphere. Comet fans always head west on the thruway in droves when they play in Syracuse, and Crunch fans do the same when they're out east in Utica. To have those two teams in a true playoff atmosphere would be really all we could ask for as fans of local professional hockey. But before they get to the postseason, both the Crunch and the Comets will both do their part this weekend to honor something that's heavy on the hearts of every hockey fan in the world, and that is the Humboldt Broncos. As I'm sure you're aware, a recent tragedy occurred where a bus carrying the Humboldt Broncos hockey team got into an accident where 15 people died. Every player on the Syracuse Crunch and the Utica Comets has been on that bus, traveling at all hours to all sorts of rinks to play yet another game. The Crunch and Comets at the American Hockey League level still ride that bus, especially when they play each other. It's every parent's worst nightmare, and it has to be humbling for every hockey player to know that it can happen to them. Seemingly every hockey trip in the history of the world has had a screening of the 1977 classic Slapshot. One of the images that came from the wreckage of the Humboldt tragedy 
was a damaged DVD of Slapshot. That certainly hits home a little bit more here, as that movie was filmed in both Syracuse and Utica. The Crunch will wear jerseys this weekend with the nameplates displaying Humboldt. The Comets will wear jerseys displaying the nameplate Broncos. Fundraising efforts at both ranks will take place for those affected by the tragedy. There's certainly a lot going on in the world these days, but we ask you to save a prayer for all those in Humboldt. That's the Syracuse Sports Podcast for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Brent Dax. Don't forget you can subscribe on iTunes and Google Play to have new episodes of the Syracuse Sports Podcast sent right to your favorite smart device. We'll talk to you next time.